Well, folks, you're very welcome to episode number 30 of the Time Out podcast with me, Tony McGettigan. And uh, delighted to say today that my guest is uh, a former inter-county player with Donegal who uh, he played between the think during the years of 95 to, to 03 uh, appeared in numerous uh, Ulster finals and as well just to note he was part of that famous Glenties team that got their hands on their first uh, Dr Maguire Cup in 2005 uh, it gives me great pleasure to welcome John Gilday on to the podcast John you're very welcome Thanks very much, Tony. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure, John, to, to have you on. And uh, how are you keeping? Oh, listen, and I suppose I'm, I'm alive in the current environment with the way things are going. That's a that's a big statement in itself. It's uh, it's been a, a dramatic and traumatic post seven months now. Um, you know, nobody knew where we were. You know, last February, January, February, <coughs> if you'd have told people where we would be. In September, October time this year, the, I think the, the men in the white coat would have came for you. But it's been, uh, yeah, it's been, it's, it's been a traumatic time for a lot of people out there. But thankfully, from our perspective, you know, we're, we're, we're doing okay. Um, everybody's well, uh, on my side of the house and on my wife's side of the house. And, um, that's a, that's a big thing at this point in time. Well, that's all you can ask for, John, at this time, I suppose, is just to hope that, you know, um, as I say, the, everyone is, is safe and uh, it's, it's a very worrying time throughout the country. But uh, all we can do, I suppose, as I keep mentioning to people, I suppose, is just trying to do what we're told, really and truly. You know? Well, yeah, that's it. It's, it's, yeah. it's um, you know, it's, it's, it's very difficult, like it's for, for small businesses and, and people running, you know, trying to run companies and one thing and another. Like it's a dreadful time. Um, just on a business side of things, and then you look at the personal side of things, like even now at stage four, where technically speaking, you know, mothers and fathers and, and fathers and sons and whatever are not supposed to see one another, they're not supposed to cross the threshold of the house. That's that has a huge, and unfortunately, it's it's only in years to come we'll see the actual damage that this has caused. That's a huge social and and psychological impact on people out there. Yes, and um, that to me is is going to be the the hidden time bomb. Um, that's going to come out of the back of this. I know it's it's tragic when you see people going to hospital and people unwell, um, but it's equally tragic when you see services being cancelled, you know, hospital appointments being cancelled, uh, and people being isolated and, and feeling on their own. And maybe the the the, cr- the crutches they had or the the circuit breakers they had, like going to the gym or going for a pint with their friends, has been taken away from them. And and you know, as much as a as a physical virus, this has really been a, a real social virus as well and has a huge impact on the social fabric of the whole country and the whole world, and, yeah. to be fair. Well, it's in, especially with Irish people, John, it's not in our nature as Irish people, as I've mentioned before, to, to be separate from people, separated. You know, it's, it's we've had, I think, Ireland since the March, we've I think we've adapted as best we could to these uh, obviously the the regulations have come in and um it's it's not been easy but as you quite rightly say there's there's more ramifications down the line on the mental side of things and uh that's something to bear in mind uh, i suppose when uh, the government are taking the likes of the budget into account which is supposed to have allowed for a bit of that but i'm sure many would say mm. not not enough really and truly yeah i think it's like there's no winners in this it's it's i know there's a lot of people out there that, you know, like to bash governments and like to do, you know, tell, tell people what they're doing wrong. But I, I don't, I'm more of a solution type person and I don't see many people coming forward with solutions. I think this is one of those very unique situations where there is no right answers and there's no wrong answers. No. You learn by the mistakes you make because this is never, like this is unprecedented in our, in our lifetime and in our father's lifetimes and mother's lifetimes. So th- we've never seen this before. So it's very much everybody's learning on the job and you know, you, you do one thing and you think you're doing right, but then there's a, a knock-on effect that, that causes an effect somewhere else that's wrong, and then you have to trace it back again and, and redo the whole thing again. So I think everybody has to be tolerant. I think everybody has to be respectful of the people around them. Yeah, They have to be respectful of the people that are trying to do the right thing by everybody, and then that in turn has to be reciprocated by everybody else. I think it's now's the time for people to, you know, look out for your neighbour. Even if you can't walk out the door, look out for them, pick up the phone, Make sure they're all right. Communicate even more. And I suppose a prime example, Tony, is your podcast. You know, 20 years ago, this type of conversation wouldn't be happening. You know, you'd have to track yourself off to a studio or do whatever. That's true. And, and with technology and everything else, people, even though they aren't, aren't 
you know, physically close, it doesn't mean that they still can't be close, you know, mentally and, and on the phone and on Zoom and on Skype and whatever else is out there. Just to say, listen, we're all in this together. Let's figure out how we're going to get through it and, you know, get out, well, do your exercise, do whatever. We definitely have to be grateful for technology, John, and um, I would agree with you. I think there needs to be almost, like, I think the majority of the people in the country have adhered to what we're being told to do, but I think there almost needs to be a fully united approach to this in the sense of uh, not just across Ireland and and the six counties as well, but in people in general, just, uh, you know, you, you will see people sort of debating what the government are coming out with, but really and truly, this virus, to me, it's down to people in general, how long this virus is going to be around, you know? No, I'd agree. And, and like I, you know, people will, will um, have different views on lockdowns and not lockdowns. And to me, I think lockdowns are a very counterproductive measure because it's a virus. It's not going to go anywhere. We're like it's, it's going to be here until such time as we, we develop either treatments or vaccines yes. that are safe to, to, to deal with it. So if you keep continuously locking people up, and as we proved in March, it works great. We lock everybody up and everybody's in the house and the virus dies down and the hospitals are fine. But as soon as you start opening up society again, the virus is going to spread because human interactions there. So I think there has to be more personal responsibility on people there to, is. you know, yeah. to be safe. Like Big Brother can't always be telling you what to do. And I think then you have a, a, an element of society that automatically push back against governments and what they want. But I think people have to, you know, be careful, be respectful of the people around them, wear your mask where appropriate. If somebody's not wearing a mask, give them a wide berth, but you don't need to be trying to make shame them or do whatever. Everybody has their own opinion and you never know what's going on in somebody's life that maybe doesn't, maybe they can't do something at that particular point in time. You know, wash your hands, do the normal simple things. And I think the other side of the equation is that it's, I think it's been extremely difficult in two tiers of society. It's been very difficult in young people and extremely difficult in the elder people because, for example, my wife Sharon's um, grandmother is 99 years of age. She'll be 100, uh, please God, in April. Yes. Now, that woman has come through a war. She's, you know, she's seen all the trouble. She's gone through everything in her life. And for the last six months, she's been basically locked, locked up in a box with no human interaction at all, apart from some carers or whatever. You know, her family can't get in around her. And then, so... That's not healthy. And then the young in society, you know, you can imagine yourself. And Tony, you're still a young man, but I, you know, at 25 years of age, if somebody had said to me, listen, you can't do anything for six months and then the six months is up and then you can't do anything for another two months and then there's no end in sight, I would probably be out. I would probably be doing the things that some of these people are doing. So rather than trying to alienate them, we should be trying to pull everybody together and go, okay, listen, how do we do it safely? Because the world will not stop. No. And somebody very, uh, very much, much brighter than I am said to me one time, you can, you can be alive, but not living. And right now, I think we're keeping people alive, but people's livings are, are, and how they live their lives is suffering. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely so across Ireland and across the world, John. And as I say, all we can do is sort of, um, like the, the regulations are, are there and it's, it's a matter of abiding to them. But, uh, definitely you're living letter Kenny, John, aren't you? You're living. Yeah. I'm living in Letterkenny. I said earlier on, my my uh, when people ask me where I'm from, I'm saying I say I'm from Ganties, but my my good wife, who's a Letterkenny woman, reminds me continuously that I've been living in Letterkenny <laughs> longer now than than I have been in in Glanties, uh, But no, I'm from Glanties, but living in Letterkenny. Glanties born and bred. And uh, what kind of work are you involved with yourself, John? Is it or yeah? Yeah, no, I do. I have my own company, so I do a lot of work overseas. I do kind of consultancy work in the financial sector. Um, business restructuring stuff like that so all very boring mundane type stuff yes pays some of the bills well that's that's the most important thing john and uh definitely and uh glad to hear it yeah your your business is uh you're doing you're doing well by the sounds of it and we'll move on john to the the was the league starting tomorrow of course the donegal and it's been who could have foreseen what could have happened john when you look back to march when when Donegal, I think it was actually had a win against Monaghan. I'm nearly sure it wasn't Ballyshannon. You know, uh, a very morale boosting win to sort of uh, put Donegal in a good position to retain Division One status. But who would have thought we'd be coming into uh, the middle of October with the next game? And um, Donegal, of course, start against Tyrone, John, uh, this weekend. And uh, what's your thoughts on that, John? Well, yeah, it's, it's it's a crazy time, even from a from a sports perspective. And as you rightly pointed out, you know, uh, February to 
to now is, is a long time. It, it's going to be a difficult situation for teams to come into. And this is a particularly different ga- difficult game for, for Donegal and Tyrone. Uh, because, you know, obviously if things will go according to plan, which is, which is doubtful to say the least, um, you know, these guys will be meeting in a championship not too far down the road. So you have Tyrone coming in. Are they going to show their full hand? Are Donegal going to show their full hand? It's an important game for both sides, but I do think there'll be a level of caginess about it, uh, with a view and with an eye to things further down the line. That's um, right. And, and then obviously there's obviously the edge between Donegal and Tyrone over the years. I know there's there's always great battles. It's a fierce Donegal, game. Yeah, yeah, Donegal have had the upper hand over the last, you know, 10 years, you know, really. Uh, but prior to that, Tyrone were completely dominant and, you know, they'll be looking to right the ship again and, and get things back on track. And I know they have some injury issues in one thing or another. Um, but it's always a battle. Yeah. It's always a battle and uh, that won't change. It's going to be a tough, you know, normally when you, you're coming back into action, I suppose... Uh, normally in a pre-season let's say normally if it's cross channel or soccer or here in Ireland there's a sort of warming up process you, you come into but I'll tell you what there couldn't be a, a more fierce battle coming in against a, a Mickey Hart's Tyrone and of course Donegal are, are looking in a good position in, in the league John in the sense of you know um, like you have Mead on zero points and Mayo on three points Donegal have a healthy uh, plus on the, on the points plus 18 it's the likelihood is that Donegal will retain Division One status. Ah, yeah, I think they're in good shape, yeah. and I do think that you know they're very capable of grinding out a result on Sunday. Um, you know, the, this break has been good in one sense from a Donegal point of view because they've had a lot of guys come back from injury, um, and I have no no doubt, given the the level of detail that Declan goes into and the background team going to, that they'll be very tuned in and very very prepared. So I'm expecting. Um, as as best as you can expect, because again, as you, you know, nobody knows what what people's form is. Really, these guys are coming in cold. Um, but I'd be hoping for a very strong performance from these guys and and make the debate about whether it's going to be points difference or or anything that put it to bed out of the way and and beat Tyrone and somebody. Yeah, and that would be a good one going into the championship uh, too, as I say, coming up in, in two weeks. All being well, hopefully that that will actually happen. And just a quick look on other games. John, um, Monaghan play Kerry tomorrow in, in a skin. That's at two o'clock throwing. Uh, quick thoughts on that game? Um, again, like Monaghan have really given Kerry an awful lot of problems over the last year, more so than maybe a lot of teams. Um, but all things being equal, um, you would anticipate that Kerry will probably grind out a result. Yes. Um, you'd expect, you know, that to me, that Tyrone team, or not the Tyrone team, the Mullen team has, like, has had a great 10 years, but that, that's an aging team right now. It is. This break is, is going to maybe help the bodies in some way, shape or form, but when you get older, you don't know if a break either helps you or slows you down. So a lot of those older guys will probably wonder where they're at. And I think this is a young, fresh, vibrant Kerry team that's coming through. Yes. Um, and I think, you know, Monaghan are, are, are going to have problems here. Yeah, well, Monaghan are sitting, of course, they're sitting third from bottom, but um, they're still in a good position to retain status and, and Kerry are, are, are second. But uh, on to then, Dublin play Meath, and uh, that's in Parnell Park at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. And, you know, Dublin have been sort of the linchpins of both, uh, of obviously, the, the Sam Maguire and League in the last number of years, uh, of course, John, but... Uh, They've been, uh, I suppose, an ex- the fair word would be to probably on Dublin in this league is an experimental Dublin in the league here. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose with with change of management and and um, Jim, you know, t- taking his, his final bows from the Dublin setup for the time being, and Desi coming in there, um, you know, he was going to try to put his own imprint in there again. Some of their players are are pushing on. You have Connolly's and these guys who retired, um, and they had they had to mix it up a bit and see what was out there. And I think any new manager coming in, even in, you know, and particularly this is from a Dublin perspective, who've been very, very successful, still wants to put his own imprint on on the whole thing. So he was going to shake things up, look to see what's out there, and try to freshen the the whole Dublin um, juggernaut up. And he's and he's done that, you know, to a certain extent. You know, they've they've had a mediocre by their standard league campaign so far. Like they've they've played five and they've won two, draw, um, lost, done one, two, and drawn two. Yes. It, the last well, one. well, yeah, D- D- Dublin are on six points after uh, five games, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, again, they're going to be pushing on. They're going to be looking to see can they get into the top two here. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I would suggest, you know, they, they have too much for me, no matter what side. 
um, they put out right now. There's there's just from a Leicester perspective, Dublin are so far ahead in the pack that anything other than a Dublin yeah. one here would be a huge shock, no matter what the circumstances would be. It's quite depressing, actually. I've lost my own words. I would say actually the the whole story in in Leinster when you consider uh, Dublin, you know, the, the domination of had in Leinster, but. Tomorrow, like Mead will be playing for Pride, and the fact that two teams haven't been that active, I suppose, might be a bit of a leveller. But it's it's very hard to see past a Dublin win there tomorrow. Yeah, I, yeah. see, I think football has advanced so much over the last ten years, in particular, that the days of giant killing is nearly gone. It's it always ends up as a, because the level of professionalism that has been brought to the game, as regards you know the training, the diet, the mental preparation, all that. That has taken any level of, you know, back in the day when you had an underdog and maybe another team wasn't up for it, you know, they could raise the game and everything else was so mixed match because you'd have a guy going out one day, he'd be fired, another day he wouldn't. Whereas I think now the the, the game is so analytical <clears throat> that the the days of some guy having a super big game are nearly gone. It's 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 all about the process. It's all about the system. It's all about the structure. Yes. So the really good teams, when they have those things nailed out, they've taken that element of, you know, that element of pride and everything else that used to get a guy up and over and above the line. That's nearly gone because it's so professional right now that it's all about the process per se. Uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but that's the way the game has gone. And the level, so because of that, the consistency levels of the top teams are so similar on a day-to-day basis. But them having a really down day and another team having a really up day are gone. Yeah, well, it is. It's, yeah, it's hard to disagree with that, John. And you've seen it there in the championship. There, it's very evident too in the last number of years. Like it's uh, there's a massive divide there between the top teams and and then the next teams coming through. And uh, Galway then against Mayo, uh, John. That's the the game to which will lead up to Donegal and Tyrone on Sunday. That's been played in Tuam, and again, uh, a massive battle there. Two teams that, uh, of course, know each other very well. And uh, Galway is sitting top of the table under uh, Patrick Joyce and with a very healthy plus 22 as well. They've, they've been in incredible form uh, so far in, this, well, in the league campaign. Yeah, <clears throat> Galway, like always, produce you know, excellent footballers. Parik himself is a great footballer. And you go back to the Donlins and, and the Silks and you know Big Walsh and guys like that. Like, like that team in the... In, um, Early 2000s, late 90s was an exceptional side. So they have a pedigree for playing, you know, really top class, attractive football. I suppose that has taken a bit of a beating over the last couple of years <clears throat> due to the way that they had played and they, they become more defensive and more harder to beat. And a lot of people in Galway and around the country felt that maybe that didn't do them justice, that, you know, took away from the national flair. Um, but league football is league football. Um, I know, as far as I'm aware, Tony and correct me if I'm wrong, Galway and Mayo are meeting in the Championship, not too far down the line as well. That's correct, yeah. So, yeah. so there's an element of the Dublin-Tyrone situation here as well, in the sense that how much, even though it's very important from a Mayo perspective, they'll want to retain the Division 1 status. And they always, over the last three or four years, to our, even to Donegal's own detriment, they've found a way of managing to survive well, yeah. when, when all odds looked against them. Um, yeah. And you'd wonder how much you know Galway are going to show their hand, and then realistically, it looks like Galway are going to be in the league final no matter what the result is. Yeah, they're in a so, very strong position. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> this is a very important game for Mayo. It is. And I imagine they're going to come at this all guns blazing. However, I know that you know Porik and, and the Galway public would love nothing better than to send Mayo down to Division Two yeah. uh, in the short term. So again, an interesting game. I think. Maybe Mayo will want it more, even though that's an agent team as well. Yes. Um, and that they're they're very much heading towards that Monon type scenario as well. Where yeah, they've been on the road a long time. They've been on the road a long time. A lot of those players have a lot of miles yeah. in their legs. This seems to be a younger, fresher, more vibrant Galway team. So my thoughts is maybe that Mayo might script this across the line because it means more for them. But then I wouldn't bet yeah. against Galway for the championship match, you know, so that's yes. where I'm at on it. And of course, your old comrade, <coughs> uh, Jim McGuinness, uh, John, is, he's, well, it was, uh, I think somebody was videoing it, uh, that it was, he was part of the training session with the, the, the Galway team there. And, uh, that can only be a good thing for Galway to have somebody like Jim, uh, taking them for a few training sessions. Ah, uh, yeah. And I, I suppose, like, Porrick and Jim go way back. From their time in Tralee together, and you know, there's a there's a close relationship there. Um, 
how much of an impact it'll have, I don't know. Sometimes you know, you'll find coaches will bring in guys just to spice it up a bit, mix it up a bit. And obviously Jim's very respected in the game. So bringing somebody like him in is, is never going to be a negative. And um, I think it, it could probably freshen things up from a goalie perspective. How much of an impact it'll be, I don't know, because you know I don't know how much of an input Jim has had over the last three or four months or how much he'll have going forward. Um, because, you know, with Jim, you know, he'd come in and do one or two cameo pieces there. That's great. Um, will it really matter in the grand scheme of things? I would suggest not, unless it's a much more defined and in-depth role than we're aware of right now. Yes, and uh, Golly obviously have their own identity. It's been working so well for them. And I suppose Jim coming in too, it's, um, it's probably the whole thing related to the fact of the long layoff too, John. You know, just since February, I suppose trying to get the players G'd up as much as anything for what's for, for what's about to happen in, in the space of uh, a short space of time, like the league and championship. And maybe that's why I suppose Jim's been brought in. It's just that uh, different voice as well there in, in the training. Oh, yeah, and a very respected voice. And yeah. the other side of things that, you know, one of Jim's greatest traits is and and. You know, there's all sorts of, he's very analytic and he's very organized and he's very structured, as we've seen from the success we had at Donegal. But like his, his motivational side of the equation is, is immense. Yeah. Like he's a phenom- phenomenal guy to motivate groups. Um, and from that perspective, you know, him coming into any situation is definitely going to have a positive effect. Well, when you've seen what he, of course, what I touched on during the week there, when he done with Donegal there, especially John taking a team that were sort of uh, in Cross McGlen out in their feet to All Ireland glory inside a couple of years, it's quite a remarkable story that I don't think there's been as many quick turnarounds as that in GA history of a team. No, there isn't. And, you know, I think people do that Donegal team a disservice in the sense that, you know, they're at a low ebb. Absolutely, when they got that trouncing in our man, but there was still a lot of talented footballers there. Oh, it was, yes. you know, it was, you know, I, I know we we kind of go, okay, we were here and we went to there, and it was a huge captain. But I, I don't want to be disrespectful to the boys who played that day as well, because most of those guys went on and won all our medals. So it was just a matter of of organizing them and motivating them yeah. and making them believe in their own ability, and that's that's the big magic ingredient that Jim brought to the table. They all could play football. And he brought in the structure for them to, to express themselves. Um, but he also made them believe that they could do it. And that was the biggest hurdle. You know, if you lift that team off the ground that day to make them believe that within three years they'd won in Ireland. Uh, yeah. Again, you know, people, people were probably laughed at you. And I, I know yeah. players, players laughed at that stage and thought this man's off his head. But he's as seen, we all know, yeah, he he's seen, he's seen in Donegal in the sense of you quite rightly point out there, they had so much talent in that team. Uh, Donegal that uh, that old Loeb against Arma and Cross McGlen like that wasn't the true Donegal side we were seeing in the sense of uh, uh, the performance level and uh, Jim obviously knew that and uh, knowing a lot of the players at close quarters and that's what he I think he came into Donegal and Jim firmly believed what he was saying in the sense of um, you know you're going to have an Ulster medal in your back pocket and the All-Ireland inside you know a number of years whatever I think it was three four years there was a sort of a plan there, but I would say not even Jim expected to to, to happen so quickly. No, and it's like everything else in life. Um, like Mike Tyson once said, you know, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Yes. Um, and a lot of things have to go your way. Um, and you know, Jim got everything right from his perspective, and the players bought into it, and they they sacrificed everything in their lives for that three to four year period to get. To the obviously ultimate award from a reward from a GA perspective, but then you need a lot of luck as well. Like I remember our first Ulster title. I don't know if you remember we played Tyrone. Yes. Uh, I don't know if it was the final or the semi final, but uh, I remember we played them and Tyrone played us off the park completely in the first half. I remember sitting there going, "Oh, this is going terribly wrong," and they kept. I think um, Hart kicked seven frees wide in the first half alone. Yes. And then. I don't know who came out and it was Cassidy or somebody came up the field and kicked a point and we ended up a point ahead at half time when really we should have been six points down if yeah. all things been equal. And then game. all of a sudden the, the game switched and we won the game comfortably. I remember Brick Malloy scored That's a goal right. and yeah. waving at the crowd. So, you know, if we had lost that game, yeah. how much would that have dented the confidence and where would we have been? So you need things to go, like everything in life, you need a wee bit of luck. Now, I suppose the harder you train and the more organised you are, the better your luck becomes. Yeah. Um, you just can't be lucky. 
But you do not need that little element of luck to get you across the line, and we got that at that point in time. And then obviously the rest is history. We had, yeah. we had huge success, and and um, you know Jim was a was was the you know pivotal point in that whole thing. It's a very clever when you can consider what Jim McGuinness like for me uh, personally, and I would defend Jim McGuinness to the to the hilt in the sense of his his achievement. You know what he when he came in into 2011 there to to the Ulster Championship, Donny Gall had gone on a very bad run in the Ulster Championship. They hadn't won a game, so the the fact that people were criticising him for being I suppose that wee bit extra defensive, uh, Jim was sort of using that I suppose as a maybe as a kind of a, as a crutch to sort of get get those wins, ensure those first number wins, build the confidence. There was a plan there with Jim of a process, Do you know. Oh yeah, and, and that even goes back to two thousand and five from when we won our first championship. Yes. And again, you know, he changed the way that we play our game completely. Like we would have been you know, we would have, we would have had an awful lot of good footballers and, and uh down through the years and we would have played the game I suppose traditionally, we would have been attacking and defending and it was kind of man for man. And um and we lost games, you know, we should have won and because we just weren't organised and you know, Jim came in and put a structure in place, and then what he did was he refined that and brought it forward to the county setup, where he, you're dealing with better players across the park, <clears throat> and he was able to to hone that even better. And I suppose, you know, the the simple thing in life, even if if you go, no matter what sport, be it hockey or be it basketball or be it soccer, whatever it be, be, if you can limit the amount of times the other team can score, then it means you have to score a lot less. So yes. you know, you know, it, it, there's a lot of logic in what he says. Like most, like. Uh, most teams work on the defensive side of the equation more than anything else. And he, I think he brought it to a completely different level within the GA. But Tyrone were doing the same thing a couple of years prior to that with their blanket defence. That's and right, their, yeah. You know, three and four man tactic. So what he did was he, he brought it forward, he refined it. Uh, we did what we did in 2011. And then obviously in 2012, he, you know, yeah. we added that extra component. And like at that stage, and I remember talking to people, like, I think that team was physically the best conditioned team I've ever seen come out of Donegal. Oh yeah. Um, like the the transition from defence to attack, like they were they were absolutely you know. Um, oh, they were primed. Consistent, primed. Yeah. Everything went right, and then you know we got the breaks at the right time. Like you know you go into another you go into another final and you score two goals. You know in the first half and you blow the other team out of the water. It makes things easy for you as well. Yeah. And you know. Um, and then we had some exceptional talent, like oh, the yeah. Lacey's of this world, Michael Murphy's, um, you know, we, Colin McFadden, did, yeah. Colin McFadden, Anthony Thompson, yeah, yeah. you know, Rory Kavanagh, uh, Neil yeah. Gallagher. We had the players and Jim knew that in the sense of, Jim knew, I would say, uh, when he came in that, that the players were there, but if he could, you know, sort of prime them and sort of, as you say, a structure, they had a good chance of, of delivering what he was saying. You know yeah, I mean? no, absolutely, and, and and they proved that. And and to be honest, we probably left one behind us in two thousand and fourteen. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, listen, there was good days and there was bad days. There was there was highs, there that's was lows. Sport, though. That's sport, and that's sport in general. And it yeah. was it was a great great period of time. And to be honest, that 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 success is continuing on right now. That new breed of footballer all grew up, and we're all you know 14, 13, 14, 15 when Jim was one of his first alliance with the team. Um, and now they're representing Donegal, the McGee's of this world, and guys like that, the Ferries, and they they're the next generation, uh, Kieran Thompsons, um, and they're producing equally good footballers right now. I think there's a lot of talent, a lot of big, athletic, really good footballers in that Donegal outfit, and, and hopefully Deck Declan can put them all together right now and we can have yeah. a couple of more years of success. Well, that's hopefully what we'd be hoping for, John. And you <clears> touched <throat> there in 2005, John, and a very historic year that'll go down in Glenty's history. And uh, tell me, how did it feel coming into Glenties for the Dr. Maguire Cup? Oh, it was amazing. It was a, it was a surreal experience. Um, you know, obviously we'd been, you know, we'd never re- we'd never gotten to a final in my in my lifetime, um, and we kind of came out of the blue. We were in Division Two that year, <clears throat> and nothing was expected from us. So we were a very very young side. But no, it was a, it was probably the highlight of my you know my. Sporting career as such, yes. Um, I think any any player will tell you that you know bringing their their club championship back to to their hometown is a special feeling. Um, but it's even more special when we'd never won it before. It was the first time and history. You know, we had, uh, history. Um, and thankfully it happened in two thousand and five and not two thousand and twenty. 
because um, I can assure you that the social distancing um, in Glenties was wasn't to be heard of for at least <laughs> three three months <clears throat> after yeah. that. So, but no, great great occasion, great time. Like I suppose I was at the back end of my career. You know, um, you know, it was it was really I was on the way out as such, and um, from that perspective, it probably made it even sweeter. Um, because it kind of capped off the back end of my career as such. Yeah, and of course that Glenty's team have, have gone on to like very special things when you consider what they've done in the last number of years as well, John. And to me it comes as, I, I say this to a number of people that I'd be talking to, it's, it's no real surprise to me because um, I went to school in Glenty's and i seen like the likes of obviously the players that were there, they were, they were so dedicated to football. Like Glenty's, they'd like, literally eat and sleep football. And um, when I seen the, the, the talent and the, the school teams there in the comprehensive, there was a great, they had the talent as well. And it's no surprise to me when I see now what they've done in the last number of years. And of course, they're sitting now in another county final, John. And it's, I actually feel very sorry for the players because, you know, you're, you're, you've achieved another great milestone of getting to final and there's no uh, sort of sight of when it might be played. No, it's, it's a difficult situation. Like, you know, the last, what, 15 years have been exceptional from a Glenty's perspective. Yes. Um, you know, for a team that never got the final, let alone won a final, <clears throat> I would suggest that the most consistent side running all over that 15 year period. Oh, yes. Hard to agree. Um, yeah, hard to disagree. And they're, and they're, you know, and exceptional players. Like, you know, the Marty Boyds of this world, the old Wades of this world, the Anthony Thompsons, Leo McClunes, and now the new generation coming through. Uh, the Charles McGuinnesses, the Kieran Thompsons, the Doherty's, the Jack McKelvey's, this world. Like, they just, there's, you know, the, the amount of work that had went on for 20 years without any success, you know, by, you know, by really good club members and, and Glenties, um, you know, has, is now starting to reap the rewards of that. And then success breeds success. It's just, you know, players want to play. And then it's a small rural community. There's, as you know yourself from, you know, there's not a hell of a lot of things going on. Yeah. Um, there's no huge draw to anything else, and the club's successful, and it's a very, very good club, so people are drawn to it, and yeah. all the young lads and girls up there want to play. They want to play for the club, and there's huge pride in the parish for the club itself. Like you know, So there's a lot of things feeding into the mix, um, and it's disappointing that we didn't play the county final right now. You know, from a, from a, a logical perspective, given the state of play in the country as regards COVID and everything else that's going on, I think the county board need to make a call and say, okay, the county final is not going to happen till March. Yeah. Pick a date, you know, play it in St. Patrick's Day next year. Um, and give the players a break right now because the players are kind of half, half training, half mentally prepared, half waiting for it. Nobody yeah, has a definitive date. That's hard. You know, so really you should park it right now and say, lads, listen, we are where we are. Pick a date in March. Have a St. Patrick's Day final. Hopefully we can get a crowd into Balbuffet on St. Patrick's Day. We don't have much else to be doing. And maybe that'll be the start of the world opening up again and, and give everybody yeah. something to aim for, as opposed to this limbo period right now between players and management where nobody knows what's going on. Well, I think that that's a good shout, John. I think that would be a very fair approach to the players in the, in the sense of, because at the minute, no one knows what the story is. And with the, we do, we, even with the county championship, the, oh, sorry, the Ulster Championship with Donegal, like nobody knows what's going to happen even in two weeks' time. What the, you know, will will the challenge even be completed? And I saw an interesting stat there, John, that I was actually looking back on today to clarify. Uh, Dublin have never won uh, the All Ireland Championship in a year ending in zero. <laughs> well, maybe this is somebody's locking down them. Maybe they're going to cancel it altogether so they can go back one the next year again. Yeah. So the the, the question <coughs> I would have is, uh, I don't know if you're a betting man, but the question I would have is. What odds would be at the minute in completing the football championship? Because to me, I don't see it being, um, you know, no. no, I don't see it happening myself. I, I just, you know, if you look at the state of, like, if you, A, you have this whole dynamic of Northern Ireland versus the South of Ireland as such, and different rules in there, and, you know, different rules down south at the present point in time. Now we have Neffet coming out today, uh, just in the last hour, saying um, they recommend the country go to stage five. Yeah. Uh, for six week for six weeks, I think it is. So you know, if we take six, and you know, with, with the current rise in cases, I think there's going to be an escalation of the levels, where you know the rest of the country is going to stage four. I don't see, you know, what happens in a situation a week before the championship. One of the Tyrone lads tests positive for COVID, and that's not an unlikely scenario. Or one of the Donegal lads, or one of the Dublin lads. Yes. So I I I just don't see a situation in the current environment where it could go ahead. 
and and not be disrupted to the point where it just would make no sense. And I understand why the GA want to do it. From a morale perspective, it would be good for the country. Like We'd like nothing better to sit down and you know, watch a, you know, a, a proper championship match, as I would call it, because this would be the first year probably in 20 years that it would be proper championship. It's knockout from day one. And way before your time, Tony, when <laughs> when I started playing first, you, you, know, you trained all year and you played one game, and if you got it wrong, you were out. Yes. But the intense, I, I think if you talk to a lot of the older people, the level of intensity and the atmosphere and the crowd atmosphere engagement in those kind of games, I, I haven't experienced since. Um, and I know it's great that we have all these other games, and it's probably from a revenue perspective, it's great. But uh, maybe I'm looking back from a bit of nostalgia, but those one-off championship games were were electric. Well, there's something um, special. Yeah, I can remember like back. I think it was uh, the late nine. Uh, I think it was oh one that the the back door came in uh, around yeah. the, the start of the millennium. And um, do you know something? The, the championship. Uh, let's say it does go ahead, and the, there's more of the the championship has completed. That knockout. It's it's actually refreshing approach in, in many senses because you know let's say on, on the unlikely very unlikely scenario that Dublin lose in, in Leinster which okay. is not going to happen in a million years but let's say it does happen like <laughs> Dublin are still in a very strong position to win the Sam Maguire and in a very weak province well if you look at it for example Dublin could afford to lose two games and still win the Ireland yeah. which doesn't make any sense no um, and that applies to any county so what you will find is that the Super 8 is such there's really going to be a Super 6, and then there's going to be two guys that are going to wander into it every year and get beat. And then there might be two more the following year because some team has a run on it. Because the way the championship's structured right now is it's it's set up that the big teams have multiple opportunities to get it wrong and still survive and still go on and win the championship. And maybe, in a, you know, it depends on your whether you're traditionalist or you're more modern as such. Um, you know, to me... I think that hurts football in general because if you're sitting somewhere in a, in a county that, like, for example, even me, you know, what are the chances of you beating Dublin and beating Dublin again and then beating it by 20 points? Like, if you, the championship to me is if you, if you knock a team out, they're gone. Yeah. That's what it is. And, you know, you can get up for one game. Maybe you go and play Dublin and you have one shot at it and, and you beat them. That's good for the championship in general. Because then everybody, that benefits everybody, and then you're going to see more mix. You're going to see more different teams playing one another. Because some of the games right now are pointless. Like, there's no advantage to Dublin going down to, you know, Leitrim no. and beating Leitrim by 20 points. It serves nobody. It's bad for the so GA, listen, actually. It's bad for the GA. Well, you know, a lot of games you don't even tune into because there's no point. No. There's no atmosphere, and it doesn't do Leitrim any good. It doesn't do Dublin any good. And that's just an example. That applies to another 25 teams in the country um, that are going to get beat by the big guys on a regular basis. So I think, you know, if it's a knockout as such and they're gone, they're gone, that opens up the door for other permutations and other possibilities that benefits everybody. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see if it happens, although... It definitely uh, needs I, reform, though. No. It definitely needs reform. The whole thing needs to be... It needs to be changed, I think, because I watched the Lancer Championship there now, let's say the Lancer Final... <laughs> And to be quite honest with you, it, it's just not, it's it's depression. Uh, because the worst thing that you're ever watching, in a sense of, it needs to be competitive. Like, even the crowds in the Leinster final have gone down to something like, like I think it's 30,000, 40,000. And uh, that was never the case in, in the, the late 90s, early noughties. And I suppose I'm picking on Leinster a bit because, like, <laughs> Monster is a bit like that too, actually, to be quite honest with you. Like, Cork have suffered a lot in the last number of years. But, um, Connacht and, and Ulster would probably be the, the the stronger championships, you know. Oh yeah, there's there's the real vibrant championships. The Ulster championship is is by far it is. in a way you know ahead of everything else. No, that's good thing in the sense that you can't very hard to predict games, and there's great intensity and great excitement. Um, it's also a negative in the sense that when Ulster teams come through their own province, sometimes they're that exhausted by the time they get to play the other teams that it's 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 detrimental. They're leg weary. They're leg weary. Yeah. yeah. And injuries in one thing or another. Um, and Connacht's a bit better in the sense that, you know, Sligo every now and again can spring a surprise on somebody. But it, it's really the big two down there as well. It's Mayo and Galway. Yeah. And um, it's just the way the game has gone. It's 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 different. Um, the whole atmosphere is different. And I don't think the GA are going to roll back in any way, shape or form because, you know, it's, it's all about money right now. It's all about the commercial element of things. Yeah. The more games they have, you know, I don't even know how relevant crowds are for them right now. 
the more games they have shown on TV, the more revenue they get from the TV uh, stations. I think that's the model that they've built. And I don't know if it's a good model. You know, maybe clubs benefit down the line. Maybe the money seeps down through. But I think from a from a purely spectator point of view, the game has suffered because most games now are foregone conclusions that's even it. before you leave the dressing room. And that's not a healthy thing, to be quite honest. Yeah, for the for the sport. Not at all. No, John. Just to touch on your own intercounty career, as as I said there, you like you appeared in numerous um, Ulster finals and unfortunately didn't get your hands in the Anglo self, but. Um, I can recall many today watching yourself um, and uh, fielding the high ball there in the middle of the field, and uh, I can remember them great games against Dublin in two thousand and two. You know that the, the great the drawn game and the battles with Armagh down through the years. How do you reflect on your own intercounty career, John? In the sense of, do you have regrets that you didn't get your hands on the Anglo Celt? Ah, yeah. Listen, we. You know, I was involved luckily with with a number of great teams with some great players. Um, and on one or two occasions, we, you know, we should have came across the line. You know, it was, you know, I remember the Declan's first year actually That's as a right. manager in Donegal, uh, 98, I think it was. It was 98. With the, with the infamous Joe Brawley goal. And really we had that game in the bag. And like that was an exceptional team. You had, you had a really great blend of the old guys and some of the new guys coming through. Like Brent the, Devaney. The, yeah, Devaney and, and obviously 80 down in the low. And then you had Tony. That's right. Um, who was still going strong? You had, you had Noel Haggerty going really well, um, you know, and with that nice blend of some of the older guys with experience and who were just like, like Noel Haggerty was one of the best footballers ever to play in this county. Um, it's a real driving force, um, and we didn't get across the line. And then we, you know, we we were unlucky in the sense that we came up against this then very strong period in Ulster football. Where we came across the the, the Tyrone slash Armagh axis, so you know we'd run into them every year in an Ulster final, Ulster semi final, and we we give them a hell of a run, and you know come up short by a couple of points, and then yeah. they would go on and won All Ireland, and then maybe in another like if you look at the you know funny ironically enough, I met Brian McEnough at a wedding a number of years ago. It was a year I think we 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 threw Antrim, and then we drew. Down and then we drew Fermanagh or some whatever yes. crazy runway into an Ulster final and won an Ulster final by beating somebody that you'd anticipate you were going to beat them by, and that never happened for us. No, um, you know, so I, I, I would have been happy with one of those, um, but it didn't work out. And the other side of the equation is we had some great players, and but maybe from an organisation perspective, uh, I feel if a gym or something like that had been around when we were playing, and you look at the talent that we had, like you know we. Tony Blake and goals, and yet the likes of Damien Dever, Raymond Sweeney, you know, Kevin Casty was coming through. Melanie yeah. McCready, Paul McGonagall. Like a forward line was exceptional. The forward line of Christy Toy, Michael Higgerty, Brian Roper, Paul McGonagall, Brendan yeah. Delaney, and Adrian Sweeney was exceptional in any generation. And, you know, through, you know, I know we had maybe there was a reputation then that the team didn't take it seriously enough. And the other thing is our ambition wasn't set high enough. We didn't have somebody setting, laying out the roadmap. Laying out the plan, yes. it was all, and it was, and again, that was no fault of anybody. That was just the way things were back then. Armagh and Tyrone were probably a couple of years ahead of everybody else in the in the way that they brought this organisation to the game. Whereas we went out and played every Sunday, and we went at it, and we gave it everything, and then the system beat us or the structure beat us. Um, but I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't swap it for anything. We had great times. Yeah. Uh, we had some phenomenal days out. Do we have any silverware? No, but we have a lot of good memories. And um, if you ask me, you know, and, and people do ask on occasion, would you enjoy the game today? And maybe the game today would suit me better because you could sit in the hole and you could orchestrate things and do whatever. But I think it's become a little bit soulless in the sense that those big dramatic games don't happen as often anymore. Like we had one in 2014 when we beat Dublin. Like that was just an electric evening. Yes. But those type of those type of things don't happen as much anymore. Um and they happened a hell of a lot more when I was playing. Not because I was playing by any sense of imagination, yes. but because the atmosphere and the circumstances dictated that nobody knew what the hell was going to go on Upsets any given minute. Happen, yeah. <laughs> and you know, and it, it it led to, you know, there was a lot of like there was some amazing games like our, you know, um against Dublin and against you know, Galway and we played Meath and, you know, through the back doors and various different things. So it was it was a fun time. But again, unfortunately, we didn't get any silverware. But, you know, life moves yeah. on. And when you leave it, you understand that, you know, silverware is nice, but it's not everything. Well, that Donegal team were, were very, were a joy to watch, uh, for, like for 
for many years. And as you say, like Donegal, we're unlucky that the juggernaut of our man Tyrone were coming through. That were like the very special teams too. And uh, but uh, I definitely really enjoyed watching that Donegal team play Gaelic football, John. And uh, you can be very proud of what you've done because at the end of the day, like as you quite rightly point out, there is we're never blown away by the likes of them teams. You know, it was always a, a close run thing. Oh yeah, and then, to be honest, you know, with the players we had, there would and um, there would be a level of disappointment. We definitely should have at least one, one or two of them, um, and that would have been a nice thing to do. Um, but as I said, sometimes you need that little bit of luck. Like I remember in, a, in an All Ireland semi final against Armagh. That's right. Oh three. Um, oh three. Rick, we we were very much in the match. Christie scored. Christie scored a phenomenal goal. We were in the hunt. Like we were, we were going well. Um, we had a very good O2 and we came into it and Brian took over again and Mickey walked away. Um, but, you know, Raymond Sweeney got sent off completely right. for nothing. Like to this day, it's, it amazes me how he got sent off very harsh. because it was, a, it was very harsh and it changed the dynamic of the game and then they scored a goal later on. They beat us. But up until that point, and then I would suggest that if we kept 50 men on the field because Coke Park's an awful good place to be running around with a man short. Well, you're, you're, um, you're against it. Yeah. You know, and especially with Armagh now, listen, maybe maybe it wouldn't have changed the outcome, who knows? But you know, there were great days out. There were you know, I suppose at that stage there was a real novelty with the back door, there was a real novelty of playing our man and also final in Coke Park. There were there were glorious days and the Dunningall public really embraced them and enjoyed them and they were kind of like nearly small festivals. You know, I remember going up the road to you know, to play our man or somebody in Coke Park. And the whole county just closing the door behind them and everybody heading off to Coke Park. Yeah. And there were great times in that perspective because we hadn't seen that probably since 92. There hadn't been anything to shout about. And and the, the public really rode in behind it in the real party times and, and they were yeah. in the middle of a boom and everything else. So it was uh, it was a fun time to play football. Well, I can remember that game against Castle, uh, Galway down in Castle Bar when, when uh, Donegal progressed after the uh, drawing game, I think it was in Crow Park. And, um, you know, I just think back to them special occasions. And so uh, definitely it was uh, something that's treasured by Donegal fans, even though, you know, memories, there was a lot of good memories despite no silver, John. And um, you're definitely one of the, as I say, one of the, for me, one of the unsung heroes that, you know, you were there, you were a, vi- you were a vital important part of them teams, you know, in them days. You see, and unless you wear flashy football boots like the Penny or Sweeney, and those guys can kick points. Nobody wants to talk to you. And that's the way it is. <laughs> yeah, the, the forwards get all the attention. Yeah, but but no, definitely great great times, John. Nonetheless, and great. I'm sure you have great memories of of your time with Donegal. But just to round off the the, the interview, John. Um, uh, I suppose next weekend is the final weekend in the National League. If it goes, everything goes ahead, of course, as planned. And Donegal play Kerry. Um, very bad record down in Kerry, Donegal. But um, uh, what's your memories of playing down in Killarney? Um, I remember playing in Killarney in a very, very bad, wet um, afternoon and getting beat. It's it's a it's a difficult place to go. The journey makes it difficult. Going into Kerry at any stage is difficult. Um, you know, they you know back then they were they were one of the top teams in the country as they are now. Um, it's it's not a pleasant place to go. <clears throat> to to try to get points out of, um, I'd be hoping that if we, you know, I'd be much more hopeful of taking points against Tyrone, that yes. so that we don't so that we don't need points against Kerry. I wouldn't want to be going to Kerry looking for a result because it, it, it's a hard place to go, um, and that's a very good Kerry team that have real ambition this year uh, about going much further. So they'll be looking yeah. to close off their league campaign and then kick on to the championship as well. It's going to be a tough place to go. With Donegal, I would have definitely beliefs that you know you never as despite it being a very hard place to go that's the great thing about sport you just never know what the how these games can go and um uh, you don't all mate you never know surprise uh, people down in, in Clarny if uh, need you know if it goes to that if let's say uh Donegal need result but looking at the table you wouldn't say Donegal you would say we're pretty safe wouldn't you John I think we're in a good enough place I think that the fixtures are, are yeah. in our favor now if, if Mayo would won this weekend and we would lose that would you know, make it interesting. But as I said, I would like to think that if we can grind out a result this weekend and put it to bed and not have to worry too much about it, I think that's the yeah. will be the chosen course of action right now. Well done, yeah. Well, especially with Mayo playing Galway, that's the I think the reason I allude to. You know, you'd, you'd hoped that 
um, yeah. we could be in a safe position. But you just never know, as uh, as a man says. But John, just to, to round off, uh, if I'd pick you for, for your way to favorite way to chill out at the minute, what's your favorite way to chill out? Away, away from <laughs> well, life. Well. Well, funny, my son, Sean, loves going to the cinema. So up until this all started, we used to go to the cinema, me and him. So I can I can tell you every movie that has come out over the last <laughs> five years. So me and him enjoy that. And then outside of that, it's just, uh, you know, I do a bit of gym work and I read a bit and whatever. Yeah. It's, but it's 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 more and more difficult to, to do anything that's fun right now because you're not allowed out of the house, really. So it's... No, everything's uh, it's online. Nice. Everything's online. And, no, but I read a bit and, and a bit yeah. of exercise and stuff like that. And, yeah. And, uh, with, with with kids and stuff like that, and it's uh, oh, it's tricky. The, the, the hard way that that uh, I know all relaxation and and time for yourself is uh, something that happened in the past and may happen in the future. It's just not happening right now. No, and all we can do is suppose is, is hope that things will improve in the in, in the coming months, to, uh, John, and uh, we're a time where people can be back together again and you know things we might have took for granted in the past you know the simple simple way things um in the next maybe next year you never know ah yeah, yeah. listen people are people are very resilient they like, are that's the one thing about the human race we're resilient we've come through worse and we'll come through worse again and you know it's like i think time time is a, is a great healer if you can come out the back end of it and and uh please god we will we'll, yeah. we'll start seeing the light at the end of that too distant future definitely hope so well john i would like to Thank you for taking the time to speak with me today because I've uh, taken up a good hour of your time and um, it was great chatting to you, uh, looking ahead to the games this weekend and talking about Glenties and, of course, yeah, your own time with Donegal. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure to, to speak to you. No problem, Tony. Thanks a million. Very best luck. And, uh, and I hope the podcast continues to go from strength to strength. Thanks very much, John. Take care of yourself. Thank you, John. Well, folks, that rounds up episode number 30 of the Time Out podcast and a big thanks to John Gilday for giving me his time. I hope that you did enjoy it. Keep your eye out for episode number 31, which will be coming in the next couple of weeks. So until then, take care and goodbye.